electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. starts right now live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, Bitcoin goes bust. The cryptocurrency tanking today after surging back above 17000 over the weekend. This is rival Ethereum takes off, hitting a new high. Market cap now above $110 billion. And one of its creators says this rally is just getting started. No surprise there. But you won't believe how high he sees it going this year. That's later. But first, we start off with the market. The S&P and Nasdaq closing at record highs again today. The Dow closing lower by just a hair and is a handful of familiar names leading the charge. Chip stocks, NVIDIA, Micron, AMAT, all up 10% or more already this year. This is a popular fang name. It's at all-time highs today. So in the race for your money, if you're putting fresh cash to work, as many of you are, what is a better bet right now, chip or fang? Guy. Can we do a pastiche or I have to pick? Let me do a pastiche. I asked you a question. I know. You don't so I'm choking right chips. Off the top chips. Of the show. Chips. All right. Chips. Although I will tell you, wow. I, I do like Google on valuation. I think Google on valuation is the most <laughs> well, compelling. You said chips. Yeah. But I asked so if I could do it. He's giving his own pastiche. I didn't want a pastiche. I wanted an answer. And I'll give you a couple chips. chips. I like Micron for a while. I think the NAND pricing is holding in there. I think on valuation, you got to like Micron. Xilinx, the CEO, stepped down. Goldman Sachs added to the conviction buy list, a name that's underperformed. I think will perform in 2018. And I think AMD, I don't think it's nearly as uh, detrimental for Intel, the news that came out last week, but I think it does benefit AMD. So those are three chips I like. There you go. Cornucopia, smorgasbord, pastiche, whatever. Over the road there. He pastached. He pistachioed. The bottom line here is he's on the he's on the side of the chips. I'm going to go Fang because when I think about the chips, I think the chips are recovering from what was clearly a lot of either profit taking, maybe even some short selling towards the end of the year. They were the ones that were parabolic into the late fall. They are the ones that have multiples that are difficult to support. Fang is very easy to support outside of uh, Amazon, and and ultimately, um, I'm not sure where you put it. You know what multiple you put on Amazon. Uh, but when I when I and, and maybe even. Netflix. So here I am pastiching myself. But Google and Facebook, to me, are ultimately names that have a lot of growth in 2018. If anything, I think they are still, once again, show me stocks until we get into the next round of earnings. I think people believe Facebook has a lot of regulatory overhang. And, and Google, as Guy said, when he talked about everything possible in that first part of the show, actually is a great valuation. Nice job, Guy. I, I actually think you said something smart in there. I, I really think it has to do with... Um, the great start to the show. I, really, really yeah, is, really. I think you have to think about how these stocks was an anniversary how show. these companies are positioned in the Q4 <laughs> earnings and what sort of guidance you're going to get. And I think the semis, given this situation with this bug, you may have some conservative guidance going forward. It wouldn't make sense, um, in my opinion, to be overly aggressive. And then I would just say that, obviously, into earnings, um, Fang looks pretty well set up here. The only one that makes me a little nervous at this point, though, is Amazon. It's just kind of taking off here. What does well set up mean, though? What well, well set up to actually beat and raise and continue to go higher. Because, because they were somewhat maligned, Facebook, with their regulatory stuff. I mean, what, I'm just because you're not going to. Is it about. No, but really. Is, Listen, Tim, she asked the questions around here. I just want to be really Look, clear. you can't answer my questions. I don't think questions. there's going to be I mean, a whole heck of a lot of this regulatory stuff you're going to hear. I've been on many a show, Dan, where you couldn't Tonight, answer her questions, which may be what you're doing to me right now. Started when so. you said that Tim actually said something smart. Uh, Pete, Thank you. 
Pete? What do you say? Welcome. Easy answer. I'm going to say chips. And the reason I say chips is the chips are behind everything. And, and I, I look at applied materials as one of those names. I look at Micron to, point, to Guy's point, Intel as well. I understand all the backdrop of what's going on with Intel right now, but it's already adjusted somewhat. It's, him, it's like $4 off of the highs. So I, I still look at the chips as more upside. It's severely underperforming its yes. years year to date. Absolutely. And, and Micron has not performed a year to date. Uh -huh. Micron's actually put, had this big pullback as well. We continue to see paper flows coming into Micron. I know Dan's probably seen it as well. If you would have said tech versus chips, that's a different story. But FANG versus chips, I'm going to take the chips. Yeah. You know, I think, listen, I love Netflix. I still like it. Obviously, the valuation story and anything could provide a hiccup there. In terms of Amazon, they could come out with a quarter that disappoints a lot of people because they can do that. So that's out there. Google, to me, is compelling on valuation. But the stories we just mentioned and some of these chip names still have a lot of runway. And I'll say it again. Micron on valuation is downright cheap. Intel should have sold off a lot more than it did. It did. It's you, telling you something. How do you I'm explain, sorry. Guy, Micron, who really, of all those companies, gave probably the best numbers and the best guidance with a, with a multiple that speaks so well? I why have we why. not recovered? I don't know why. I can well, tell I, you well, why. Well, the stock had a There's huge a move. 32 you know, and a half, it goes all the way up to, to dang near 50, 50. Back so to 38, So it makes some sense right. that it pulls back a little bit. It had that huge run, and I think that was built into that run to the upside. And it's held in. It's 44 and a half right now. It's not like it's fallen off the face no. of the no. earth. So mm -hmm. it should be higher, I agree, but I do think it's going to move in 18. Yeah, I would say this uh, AMD CEO was on the on the air earlier yeah. today, and she is really one of the, 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 you know, listen, that stock has underperformed the chip space in general, but if you're looking for a value play that actually has their toe in a lot of interesting areas when we think about emerging technologies and you talk about a really solid management, that stock held 10 late last year when the news couldn't get any worse. You know, I've heard her speak live in the last month and a half or so. She's been talking about, you know, opportunities in autonomous and crypto and that sort of thing, and they don't have a whole heck of a lot of upside built into current numbers. So that's one where, to me, I think if this chip rally continues to go through 2018, that's one that I think you'll see some value players taking a look at. What we haven't mentioned in the context of chips is M&A, which had been a huge driver, yeah. right, last year. Why? Why? I think sooner or later we'll see some of it. I, I mean, okay. I, I think there are names out there that, you know, we talk about all the Did time. Did most of happened? Did the low-hanging fruit in terms of deals happen last year? It seemed like that would be the case. I mean, we've seen over the last two years, really, I mean, Intel's made a lot of acquisitions. They made a couple of very large ones, as a matter of fact. I'll tell you what, of all the names, though, that stand out to me right now, I'd say NVIDIA. And the reason I say that is you have the gaming element for them in terms of all those chips going in that direction, but they're in everything. And you want to talk about potential for growth to the upside. That's one you want to have with an Intel, with a Micron, with maybe even AMD because of the fact that that's your beta play. Because if things continue in that space, NVIDIA is really cheap, even though it's trading in a 50 multiple, because of where their growth is going to come from. Right. Of the chip stocks. Mm -hmm. Your favorite. Well, I tell you what, we didn't mention Qualcomm. We've got to tell you something. Very quietly, I think Qualcomm, there's going to be news in Qualcomm in 18, whether they get bought or whether something happens. Their balance sheet is such where this stock, in my opinion, should be higher. I'm with Dan on AMD. We've been in, we talked about NVIDIA for a long time now. So you're making me choose one, Qualcomm one, Micron two. How about NVIDIA three? How's wow, that? Wow, ranking. Well, you asked oh, me your pastiche. Uh, top Fang. <laughs> um, top Fang, Google, without question. And, and this is this is a valuation story, but this is a story where these guys, if you think about what YouTube is going to do this year, uh, they said all kinds of numbers last year in terms of how many billions of viewers and in terms of their viewership and in terms of the, the hours watched, et cetera. I think if you think of the levers that Google has yet to pull, um, uh, this is the year they do it. All right. Well, there is one big tech stock that our next guest says to buy right now. Chartmaster Carter worth a quarter, so macros at the plasma to break it down. Hey, Carter.
Right, so the biggest of all, let's talk about it. And in many ways, you have to get this right if you're a portfolio manager. It is a sector in out of, of itself. There are officially 11 sectors, but really there are 12. Just to put that in context, here are the top three largest sectors in terms of their weighting in the S&P. We know tech is one, financials two, healthcare three, in that order. But take a look at Apple. Now, Apple itself, yes, at 4%. How does that compare? Compare this to the bottom four. It is bigger than all materials that are listed and counted in the S&P 500. It is bigger than all the utilities, all real estate and all telco. It is a sector, and one has to get it right or wrong. So for 2018, or at least for Q1 and Q2, I think it's a good bet here. Let's look at some charts and try to figure that out. So first chart is this. There's an uptrend. It's two years. You can draw the lines to show the uptrend, so let's do it. And I think what you've got is just a nice steady bounce off the line bounce off the line bounce off the line and just play the odds okay let's zero in here a little tighter this is just over the last four five six months you can see the flat top you can see the trend let's put in the lines that's a technical setup that you can find in books going back to the 1930s and 40s typically get resolved up and out and then just to address the issue is apple crowded is it maybe uh, ahead of itself has it been too good now, this is a 10-year chart, and what you see very clearly here is that Apple is up huge since 2012, but it has made no net progress to the market, meaning if it were crowded and overowned and complacent, it has not performed in five years. I think that's the opportunity. I think ultimately you're going to break out from this relative top and finally go above where it was on a relative basis from 2012. And then if you compare Apple to its sector, Last chart, it's not only not at the high, it's been making a series of lower intermediate lows. I think that is also an opportunity and not a risk. I like the Apple setup as an absolute chart. I like the fact that it's been going nowhere for five years and has catch-up potential. Big name, got to get it right. I think you want to be long. Carter comes over. Oh, yes, he does. Come on, bring the chair over. Stop Wow. Uh, yeah, two shirts under there, Carter's one sweater. sweater. Yeah, yeah, a sweater. I was a little sweater. cold today. Yeah, well, I was going to say, you, yeah, you good? chill out, right? Chill out, right. All right. Um, so Apple okay. has been underperforming. Well, relative? if you think, meaning, I mean, that's if, a shocking, it's a shocking sort of thing. thing. To, yeah. I mean, so what? What a relative performance is? Just the, the line on the bottom is is a ratio that stock, whatever's on top, uh, compared to whatever you put on the bottom. And what we know is that 2012 to 2018, it is not beating the market. I mean, that's, no one would guess. I wouldn't have guessed right. that. And so you could say, yeah, that's its problem. Or you could say that's the opportunity. If it were a bad absolute chart hooking down, I'd be worried about the poor relative performance. But because it's a good absolute chart, it looks as though it's going to break out, the relative underperformance, I think, is an opportunity. All right, pal. Is it a foregone conclusion that <laughs> this year it hits a trillion dollars, it gets to well, 200 bucks, that's about, about the same what, area? What's the market now? It's about 887. 887. Yeah, okay. Pretty so, that's more than 10%. I mean, I mean, that's going to be, you know, be headlines and so forth. But I think the, the thing is this. It's not nothing that tech is the best performing sector. The statistics show this. As Q1 performance goes, tech 
is an outperformer 75% of the time, and it has the best stats, and they're all doing great already right out of the gate. Facebook, Google, right. I think Apple's just going to participate. But, but let me take you know, the other side of that, just because this is what we seem to do with Apple, um, or some people do, but those charts are, as, as often technicals do, they're confirming something else fundamentally, and Apple's maybe underperforming because people are slowly, and they, they did it before the 7, and then the 7 refresh, and certainly the 8 refresh gave new life to the stock, even if it's still on a relative basis of underperforming. The debate has been, is this just a hardware company that will never get that services business? I am not one that believes that. But those charts could be confirming what really has not been a surprise for the market at all. I, I don't know how you feel about that, Dan. Well, I'll tell you, there was a huge miss this year. I, I, I really, a huge miss be, uh, behind Amazon and Apple, the miss of this HomePod, the miss of their integration of voice search, that sort of thing. They're getting further and further behind. If you read all the tech publications, they're all talking about it. That is a huge threat to this company in 2018, especially if you believe that hardware margins are going to top out somewhere around here. We're going to get a good sense what the demand for the 8 and the 10 were, and then it's going to become a services story. And to me, if they can't get voice going, you got to remember, they introduced Siri in 2011 before all their competitors on the iPhone 4S and they are falling way behind. So voice is a huge one for them in 2018. So you're saying I think it's a shot at Carter's charts. I think you may, you know, listen, maybe. By the way, we have to be, we have to, strength. full disclosure, Siri's a fan of Fast Money, by the way. Oh, yeah. series, oh, she's, been she's been on a couple of our special shows. She's yeah. actually introduced oh, right. people. Yeah. We love Siri right. here. But yeah. I mean, the things so, yeah. that you're saying, that's yeah. what probably what's been holding the stock back. So the question right. is, is that the problem? It's been a problem. If the absolute chart were rolling over, I would be concerned. I like the absolute setup. Just quick, um, the would you rather that we dealt with at the top of the show, Fang or Chips, which chart looks stronger? Fang. All right. Ooh. Carter, thank you. Without question. Carter Braxton Worth. No hesitation. Cornerstone Macro. I like that. What did you do today, Pete? You know, I was busy in a couple of things, one of, the, one of which was I have not talked about regional banks at all. I was talking to the big banks, but the regional banks had some huge paper in there today, so I actually added in that area. Um, and a couple other things. I actually was more trimming today than I was adding today. So that... You know, I, I love what the market's been doing for the first four or five trading sessions of this year. Matter of fact, we averaged over 20 and a half million contracts already wow. this year, which is three million above normal. Volumes have been there. The size to the upside has been there. And I think this created some opportunities, but I think you take some off. All right. A uh, quick programming note here for more on Apple. Do not miss Jana Partners, Barry Rosenstein, and Ann Sheehan, Director of Corporate Governance at Kelsters, on the halftime report tomorrow exclusively at 12 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up. Ethereum surging more than 50% in the last week and reclaiming its throne as the second highest cryptocurrency by market cap. You will not believe where one of Ethereum's creators thinks it could go next. He'll be here to explain later in the show. Plus, the airline's feeling the heat after bitter cold and storms across the Northeast left thousands of passengers stranded in the last week. We'll tell you which names got hit the hardest, which names are traders bought. And later, what do pot and food stocks have in common? <laughs> They're both flying high as a kite. Is it a coincidence? We've got the details. Much more Fast Money right after this break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Airline stocks taking a hit, and that kicks off our top trades. JetBlue, Spirit, Delta, Southwest Airlines all sinking in the last week as a bomb cyclone tore through the East Coast, grounding thousands of flights, leaving passengers across the country stranded at airports. It sparked a bit of an epiphany for one of our traders who had firsthand knowledge of the problem. Epiphany, <laughs> to put it politely. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm going to be kind of polite. <laughs> a here. revelation. You know, I had major fails from all these stocks that were down today. I, I think a lot of this has to do with investor sentiment. You know, these are things that the airlines can't control. Big. Uh, uh, big uh, weather, things like this. But think about it, okay? Like, you know, if you've been traveling on one of the busiest weekends of the year, um, you come back and you had just a horrible, you know, 
experience. I mean, to me, it was a disaster. So um, at the end of the day, I think all of these stocks, United, Delta, American, they all got back up to prior resistance levels. They kind of failed there. I know you guys think they're cheap. I know that you guys think they're cheap. They of, are cheap. Well, no, I know they are. But, you know, you've been saying that, you know, when they were like, they've been prior highs and then they get and down 45% or something like that. And then, yeah, they did, actually, I from mean, the highs three, two, be credible. Ago. I mean, if you want people to listen, be credible. Really? I mean, don't exaggerate really? for effect. Do you want me to go to the chart? Yeah, maybe. I mean, look. But, United you know, didn't have a 40% decline from its Chart it out. Your point is well taken. Um, that, that I would say late summer into the fall, United had a big, a big pullback, so did Delta. In fact, the whole sector did. And those have been absolute fantastic trading opportunities every time we've had them because the Do you fundamentals sell in these the highs names and buy the lows, Tim? Is that what you're telling the viewer? I, I don't, I don't, know. I don't I'm subscribe just asking. to a particular like trading strategy. I invest in companies where the fundamentals give me the ability to ride through emotional periods when some of these stocks get sold off arbitrarily. Was and this I, a sell-off arbitra arbitrarily? Absolutely. Okay. Weather-related, a weekend yeah. where they grounded a, a few tiny flights move, but and got stuck in Cleveland? Well, hold on. Big deal. United did sell off. He got stuck off. in Jamaica. I mean, just to <laughs> clarify, no, sorry, we, we want to be accurate and credible. But just to be clear, United <laughs> did have a 31% peak to trough decline from its 52-week highs to its 31. recent lows. 31. Okay, not 46. It's pretty substantial. So Delta Airlines. And it was an opportunity. <laughs> Let's move the conversation to the other part Delta of the desk here. on the 11th, which I believe is Thursday. Their, their, their earnings growth is probably 18 to 20 percent. Trades around 11 or so, maybe not even, 10 times forward earnings. I think they're going to report a decent number. Fourth quarter, Prasm, passenger revenue available seat mile, came in surprisingly high a few days ago. I would think this sell-off should be bought in Delta. That's my opinion. Moving on. Caterpillar shares jumping 3% today, hitting a record high after J.P. Morgan upgraded the stock to an overweight from neutral. Raised the price target to 200 bucks. The firm citing strong earnings and tax cuts could be potential catalysts to drive the stock uh, higher this year. Cat was one of the best-performing stocks of 2017. In fact, it was up 79%. The upgrade uh, triggered Tim this morning. Well, also, look, this is frustrating. Lately. And first of all, good for J.P. Morgan for getting out there. They've upgraded this stock after it's moved 50% since July. And the question is, what you know? Why now? And why after this move? And in the first, you know, couple lines of this research report, they pointed out that we've been wrong. Yeah. So good for them. Um, but but the bottom line is here. Two of the things that they refer to of the top four reasons in the report, including extension of the North American construction business. Mm -hmm. Extension means this was going on throughout 2017. These guys were at 85 bucks on this stock a year ago, and say so you've gone from 85 to 200. When in fact, what has only really changed to me is the tax code. And there's obviously some details in terms of depreciation. What these guys can throw in more than other people, especially with new and used equipment. Good for them. I get that there's some things have changed, but this is particularly frustrating, especially in a lot of these resource names, which the setup for this began mid-2016. And we saw recovery in construction. We saw recovery in ag. And, and yet here we are I, getting it now. I get the frustration that J.P. Morgan has sat on the sidelines for so long while this stock has rallied. But they do make an interesting point in the note, I thought, and that is that, that Caterpillar and all the other names for that matter, year two of a 10-year resources cycle, which actually means that there's a long trajectory, a long runway for a lot of these stocks as yeah. well as And I totally stocks. understand what Tim's talking about yeah. because they're so late. And you right. do too. I know you do. I can tell by your tone. But but I think the reality is, yes, they are late, but that doesn't mean it doesn't still continue to go up and 200 is not a realistic potential price target yeah. because of the fact that this thing does have plenty of room to run to the upside. And let's also remember this. There have been multiple upgrades in the last two or three trading sessions 
in the, that entire world, whether you want to go to UTX or you go to Caterpillar, go UPS today, across the board. And what do they all mention in the same note? Tax reform. Mm -hmm. So this goes right back to, was it priced in? Well, apparently, the, at least to these analysts, it was it not priced in. Yeah. Still ahead, biotech stocks sinking today. This has been one of the hottest groups in the last year. We'll find out if any of our traders are buying this dip. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Hot stocks are heating up, and they could be causing another group of stocks to go higher as well. We'll give you the names and how to play it. Up, up Plus, that's what Ethereum has done in the past week. And you won't believe how high the co-creator sees it going. He'll be here live when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The crypto craze continues as Ethereum rallies to a new all-time high. So is this the dawning of the... This is the dawning of the age of So it seems like a good time to add our Ethereum bug, but what even is Ethereum? Why is it rallying? Our Bob Bassani is at the NYSE to explain. Hi, Bob. Hello, Melissa. Talk about wild swings. Even by a cryptocurrency standard, the last 24 hours has been a little bit weird for Ethereum. It opened up about 14% today compared to Friday's close. It gave it all back midday, then rallied back. It's wild. It did clear $1,200 for the first time today. That's a new all-time high. Remember, Ethereum was, what, $10 at the start of 2017? Ethereum is now the second biggest cryptocurrency after Bitcoin by market cap, with the market cap approaching half almost of Bitcoin's $255 billion market cap. That's amazing. Ethereum is a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, but they differ in purpose. Bitcoin's a peer-to-peer -peer electronic payment system, but Ethereum is really more designed for smart contracts. These are contracts that automatically execute when specific conditions are met. Ethereum's rapid ascent has eclipsed Ripple now, which dropped about 25% at one point to third place today. What happened? It's not quite clear here, but Ripple has said that its price fluctuation is due to coin market cap. This is a site that lists cryptocurrency values that is now, they say, excluding Korean exchanges from the pricing averages, not just for Ripple, but also for other cryptocurrencies as well. This is important because South Korea routinely accounts for 10 percent or more of Bitcoin trading and more sometimes of other currencies like Ripple. So South Korean officials have been cracking down recently. We've been talking about this. Recently, financial authorities on Monday there said they were inspecting six local banks that offer virtual currency accounts to institutions. Up and down every day with this. Melissa, back to you. Yep. All right, Bob. Thanks for keeping an eye on it for us. Bob Bassani at the NYSE. So what is the future for Ethereum? Let's ask the co-creator, Stephen Narioff, who joins us now on the phone. Stephen, welcome to Fast Money. A pleasure to have you with us. Hi, Amanda. Good to be here. Thank you. Uh, we've certainly seen a huge rise in the price of Ethereum, uh, the cryptocurrency. So what's your forecast for where it could go? Uh, I think what, uh, what you're seeing with Ethereum is an uh, exponential increase in the number of projects that are being built on there. And I could see there's billions of dollars being poured into the ecosystem right now, maybe 10 times more projects this year than there were next year which uh, I think could lead easily to probably tripling of the price from here before the end of the year. And a tripling would essentially mean that Ethereum would surpass Bitcoin in terms of total market cap, correct? Uh, that's, a very, that's very likely. Um, there could be what they call in the industry a flippening, so they could potentially flip. 
Um, on the other hand, the entire space is also increasing. There's a huge interest by the public. There's more areas and ways in which the public can invest, um, even in Bitcoin. So you could potentially just see an expansion of the entire space. Well, Ethereum could go exponentially higher, so could Bitcoin. Stephen, you mentioned something very important, um, which I think a lot of viewers may or may not get, and that is the number of projects being built on Ethereum. And you make a very good parallel to this being sort of the Windows software of the crypto world in, in the way it's being used and the projects being built on top of the Ethereum protocol. Where are you seeing the biggest leg of growth from in terms of these new projects that you're talking about? Which industry? Uh, you're seeing a tremendous amount of growth from uh it's across a wide variety. Uh, FinTech, obviously, is a natural area for growth in there. Um, but now you're starting to see it becoming increasingly more creative. And so you're finding in projects uh, in the oil and gas industry. Uh, you're finding government uh, using it in their uh, applications. Um, you're seeing it in gaming and resorts and all kinds of different industries. So really it's exploded uh, across industry where it started off uh, – you know, much more now or a couple of years ago. Hey, Stephen, do you think um, that as more speculators come into the crypto market, the fact that Ethereum is considered to be um, far cheaper and faster for transactions to be confirmed on the Ethereum network, do you think that has something to do with the outperformance over the last few weeks? I, I, yeah, so Ethereum has shown us to be a lot more stable more recently. Um, and so, you know, in, in addition to it being um, more useful um, currently than Bitcoin, um, people are actually using it as a currency as well. Um, so transactional costs being lower is increasing usage of the entire network, and that's increasing the network effects of it. So more users, more uh, projects being built on there, and more programmers, and tens of thousands of them are currently um, trained in it. So it's just getting, you know, it's, it's going on an exponential cycle at this point. So, Stephen, as I get dovetailed to that, so you talked about maybe some of the, the, the specs related to Ethereum that allow this to be the platform. The other side of this is, um, as it becomes bigger and bigger, do developers decide, so I have to bet on one platform, and therefore, is it a self-fulfilling dynamic here? And are we getting to a place here where the big are only getting bigger? We saw this with Facebook in obviously a different realm, but at this point, you can't fight, face you can't fight Facebook. Uh, you know, I think that there's, there's some of that, um, but there's also competition. Um, so there are some other platforms and other protocols that are out there. Um, and plus, Bitcoin itself is uh, having another platform uh, that will be coming on it, uh, which is called Rootstock. Um, and that could offer some competition to it. So I would think it, you know, it's kind of similar to the days where Apple, you know, in the 70s had, you know, the gargantuan market share and then, you know, uh, IBM came in and started uh, competition. Um, so we, we haven't hit that moment yet. Um, uh, but uh, there is some competition coming. Stephen, uh, this may be sort of um, an existential kind of question, <laughs> um, but in terms of, of taking a look at the value of cryptocurrencies across the board, I mean, you mentioned Ethereum and its use cases, and there are many, many use cases to it, and, and what part of that is the speed of, of Ethereum. Um, can a cryptocurrency exist if its sole existence is based on being a store of value as opposed to being an actual Currency. And I guess I'm asking this in the context of Bitcoin. You know, I think a lot of people call Bitcoin a store of value. I mean, in, in my opinion, I would say right now it's more of a, a payment mechanism and a speculative vehicle. 
um, because of store of value. I think it's maintained itself over time, but it's, you know, either the price increasing on it, um, people are using it more as a spectacle vehicle. Um, so I think that will change over time, um, but that's not really the, been the main use case of it so far. Not in the way that you would look at something, but you know, people call Bitcoin, for example, sometimes digital gold. I think at this point in time, um, it's probably misplaced to be a real store of value. Okay. Stephen, thanks a lot for your time. Stephen Narioff, co-creator of Ethereum. Fascinating discussion here. Um, thoughts, Guy? Well, I mean, for me to talk about any of the cryptocurrencies is probably I'm the wrong person. But I will say there are stocks that work. Steve Grosso's been on Overstock. Look what that's done over, forget about the last six months, look what's done over the last two weeks. Stock's been on fire. I still think the Chicago Mercantile Exchange in terms of stocks is the way to play it because it's, it gives you everything that CME does, plus the cherry on top is cryptocurrency. You know, Tim, you're on a roll. You, you had another smart comment there oh, on that there one. Go. I mean, what, what you're really talking about is like... <laughs> You know, the network effects and the projects that are on these sorts of things. And that's the thing, if you're like a stock investor, you're, you're, you're kind of looking at these platforms and you're looking at, you know, network effects. And that's how I think you have to look at some of these. And your question, Mel, about Bitcoin versus Ethereum makes a lot of sense, too. Listen, we're all trying to figure this out. We're all like you, Guy, like in the Stone Ages of most things in your life us. here, hold, as we think hold, about hold, it. Various hold spectrums of Biodominance. Yeah, but, it, but it's hard. I mean, you really are going to have to dig in. If you're going to go and speculate, and that's what you're doing, you're speculating on these things, you really got to figure out what they're doing, why they exist. You right. Know? And is Ethereum price going to be driven up by the fact that there are all these I, I projects so. versus yes. Bitcoin, which is Look, uh, I mean, again, store if, value if he currency, sees an ICO know. craze that is looking yeah. to build upon this, this platform, sure. I think that's self-fulfilling. And yeah. he doesn't need to say that. I'm not saying that that's the law, but that's what we're seeing play out. Cheaper, faster. The other interesting name out mm -hmm. there today, how about Seagate? The idea that Seagate's right. got this portion of, you know, yeah. that, that could build into them as well. I, said, I think you stick with what you really want to invest in when you pick these names, though. It's the Ethereums of the world or the Bitcoins. You pick your lane. You don't pick stocks that I think are in that area. Still ahead. More crypto. Our very own Tim Seymour bought Ethereum for the very first time the last month. It's up 50% since that call. So is he still in it? Did he take profits? We will find out. Plus, the so-called Olympics of Healthcare kicking off today in San Francisco, where some of the biggest names in the space are gathered. CNBC's Meg Terrell is there at the center of it all. Hi, Meg. Hey, Melissa. Well, this is a conference that's all about deal activity. We spoke with the CEO of what analysts say may be one at the top of everybody's M&A list this year. We'll tell you what he said after this. Welcome back to Fast Money, J.P. Morgan's annual healthcare conference, bringing biotech's biggest names to San Francisco this week, and many of those companies keeping an eye out for potential M&A announcements in the space. Meg Terrell's been on site at the event where she sat down with Insight CEO Hervé Opinel earlier today. Meg. Hey, Melissa, that's right. One of the biggest deals and really the only major deal announced so far at this conference has been Celgene's $1.1 billion purchase of a private biotech company called Impact Biomedicines. Now, that company makes a drug for a uh, cancer of the bone marrow uh, that, if it gets approved, uh, would treat the same disease that Insight's major drug, Jackify, treats. That's an almost billion-dollar-a-year product. So we sat down with the CEO, Hervé Opino, here at the conference and asked him how that will affect his business. Here's what he said. In some way, it could also be positive by having two companies speaking about MPN and Jack Inhibition expanding the market because we know today uh, we are still uh, not at full penetration in this market. 
Now, one of the other biggest things people are watching for Insight is uh, a cancer drug it has in the pipeline that's being tested in combination with immunotherapies from other major companies. Uh, they're going to have data in the first half of this year that analysts are calling one of biotech's biggest binary events of the year. Uh, that and other reasons are why people say Insight may be at the top of a lot of M&A lists for 2018. We asked Hervé Opino about that. Here's what he said. It has been a question that you know is always uh, always out there for us of saying is there a case for somebody to acquire us? I see it as a decision for shareholders. We have a plan with the leadership team, with the board, of developing an independent biopharma company for the long term. So this is a key question for a lot of the executives here at the conference after the tax overhaul last year. What are they going to do with all of their overseas cash they're bringing back? And we're going to have the CEO of Regeneron on with us on Fast Money tomorrow, Dr. Len Schleifer. He's always outspoken. It's going to be a great interview. So stick around for that. Mel, back over to you. We definitely look forward to that, Meg. Thanks. Meg Terrell in San Francisco for us. Despite a strong start to the year, biotech stocks getting hit today. Biogen plunging 4% with Regeneron and Alexion down 3%. Celgene also falling a percent today. So... What do you make of this rough start, Guy? What do I make of the rough start? Well, the science still works behind these things. I think a lot of people got offside specifically when Celgene had that terrible quarter. I mean, the stock went from basically, you saw the move, uh, went from, I think, 130 or so down to $95. It's recovered a little bit. I think Celgene's messed up a lot of people. Gilead, that huge move to the upside, gave most of it back. I think that got people off sides. But I do think the science works in this space, and I do think you can own names like Amgen, names like Gilead here. I'll say one other thing. Mm. TMO, we did, what do they call that thing we do at the board? Thermo Fisher. Power Pitch. <laughs> power Pitch. Fast yeah, pitch Power Pitch. That what too. show are you fast on pitch. for the past fast 11 pitch. years? Yeah. yeah. Happy anniversary, years buddy. Happy yeah. anniversary. But we talked about it. if you like biotech, if you like the science behind biotech, you got to buy the people that service biotech. TMO made an all-time high today. How about acquisitions? What happened to acquisitions yeah. last year? Well, What's going to happen this year? Celgene had and one. And there's but... still all that cash sitting on the balance sheets of not yeah. just the biotech companies, but I think some of the big pharmas. And you almost wonder, does Pfizer decide to make a move somewhere in the space? I mean, because we've watched them time and time again sort of go after different like areas. And, then, and, and will they make a move? Or who's going to make the move? I think if you're looking just for the stock itself to actually perform without any M&A at all, you look at a Biogen, you look at an Amgen, you look at some of those other names. But the insights of the world, there's no doubt about it, those are the kinds of names that are being looked at for acquisition to add to pipeline. So force to choose. Yeah. IBB or XBI, since you like the insights of the world, I would think maybe you go for the XBI because that's more mid-cappy yes, sort of Yes, so names. I would in that case, and it gives you a much better spread, so yes, XBI. I, I tell you, I look at the IBB, and, and that's a chart that's still off those lows from November of last year is holding its own. People want to see that thing outperform more, but at the end of the day, you've got big balance sheets at the top of that. Yes, M&A is actually an overhang. It's not, it's not, I don't think this is a driver for the sector right now. Maybe getting rid of bad M&A, but um, to be that disappointed by... The, the biotech sector, if you're playing it through the ETF, is, I think, to be wrong. I think you've got decent valuations, you've got good balance sheets, and you're moving on that chart slowly, not as fast as people want. Well, one options trader is betting against a comeback for biotech stocks. So, Dan, why don't you break it down over at the plasma? Yeah, let's go to the XBI. Yeah. These guys let's were talking there, about a lot of activity we? in both the IBB and the XBI. But uh, XBI put volume ran hot today. It was like two times average daily okay? volume. Yeah, um, it right. looked like shortly after the open, when the ETF was trading about 86 bucks, there was a bearish roll. Um, a trader sold to close 3,000 of the January 86 puts at $1.62, bought to open 3,000 of the January 86 83 uh, puts 
for 50 cents. Those break even now down at 82.50. So maybe playing for a little bit of a pullback here. When you look at what's going on here, this is that chart. The S&P 500 um, is up about 22% over the last year. When you look at the XBI, it's almost doubled that performance. It's up 42%. There's a really obviously nice uptrend here. The stock might have found a little resistance. That's the one-year uh, chart of the XBI. Uh, and then I just want to go over to the five-year. I mean, there was a lot of talk back in the um, what am I doing here? Back in uh, this was the campaign here. Remember that there was a lot of talk about drug pricing and this this sector really underperformed. But you've had this move all the way back here. It's obviously getting kind of close to those prior highs. Maybe you see one last push here. I wouldn't expect this thing to give up so quickly, especially when there's not a whole heck of a lot of scrutiny on drug pricing at the moment. Thanks for that, Dan. Yeah, sure. Excellent charting. Mm -hmm. Nice charting. Nice draw. Good yeah, charting. nice drawings. Think, uh, um, for more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Still ahead. The pot stocks are soaring. It could be giving another group of names a uh, contact high. Oh, we love Entendre and that, puns. Well, I don't even know what that means. Of course you so don't. So should you get in on the Come action? On. We'll hit it next. I know what that means. Plus, Tim <laughs> Seymour got long Ethereum over a month ago. So is he buying more? or taking profits. He's got three simple rules for trading crypto. He'll break it down when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. What do pot and food stocks have in common? Well, they're both lighting up. A number of pot stocks on fire of late, but could these moves actually be sparking a rally in the fast casual space? Let's get to the man who never turns down a good late night munchie run, Dom Chu back in the newsroom. Hi, Dom. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna put it away. But anyway, you know, Melissa, it was just last week when folks here in our newsroom were making fun of me for being way too into fast food, Taco Bell in particular. And while pot and food maybe go hand in hand, there's no way to tell for sure if the stocks are correlated, but both are kicking off 2018 on the bullish side of things. So let's start with the marijuana trade. Many of these companies, they're smaller cap in nature, yes. Many aren't even U.S.-based, but still, the upside moves on the heels of pot normalization, still pretty big. Shares of Insys Therapeutics up around 7% in just the last five days. U.S. over-the-counter traded shares of Canadian company Canopy Growth up 27% in that time span. Same thing with Emerald Health, around 43% up, and then Aurora Cannabis is up 46%. Now, if you want to believe that somehow, maybe, restaurants are tied to improving marijuana prospects, we'll take a look at Darden Restaurants, up 3% in that span. Papa John's Pizza, up by around that same amount. Domino's and Yum China, yes, it's China, but still, it's Yum Brands, it's fast food. Those are actually up around 6%. And who's up for a massive carnitas burrito? Chipotle is actually up 10%. Now, improving consumer sentiment may have more to do with the restaurant trade than anything else, especially when we talk about the international side of things. Still, though, Melissa, it's kind of fun to think about how food and pot might somehow be tied. Back over to you guys. All right. Thanks, Dom. Get back to those chips. <laughs> so are these moves just a coincidence, or could pot stocks be sparking a rally? Tim, what do you think? Well, I, I don't think this is about the munchies, and I don't think this. It's not about getting high. It's about it's about getting well, despite the sound Spoil effects that they love to play on this show. Um, and in <laughs> fact, my cannabis portfolio has been outperforming my crypto portfolio over the last couple of weeks. The reason this is happening, first of all, Canada and the Canadian uh, cannabis plays are are flying towards second half 
full recreational legalization. Canada right now is totally free to go on medical. This is a biopharma story. This is a wellness story. This is where the multiples are, are going to absolutely outflank the ones that come from the recreational use, and that's the opportunity. This is this is a, a four to five hundred billion dollar global right. industry right now without the uses that we know that could be coming from epilepsy uh, or, or like or, a GW pharma, uh, autism right. or all those things. Um, I think you bring up a good point, though, and that is taking a look at the Canadian companies versus U.S.-based companies. Yeah. Canadian companies have a whole business model based in Canada where it is fully legal, where it doesn't matter what Jeff Sessions says. In fact, they were required but, two days ago to point out what risks they right, did not have exactly. on the back of the U.S. risk. But right. the question is, was there some valuation built on the notion that there could also be U.S. business in the future, that there could be an expansion of some that of business? And that's probably the question in terms of the, the rise in valuation. You know, I think the Jeff Sessions comments for the 16 to 24 hours... Spoil <laughs> it again. I hate that. I know. That it, that it hurt the running, stocks. Actually, in the long run, it might actually have been the best thing that could possibly happen because now we're talking about it. Now the individual states are talking about it. Now we've shined the light on everything the that Tim is talking about. So you know what? It was bad for the day. I think you lose that battle, but you win the war. And these stocks do. It's not just people getting baked, to Tim's point. Ba back to the food stocks, though. <laughs> it is worth well pointing said. out that your, your favorite uh, fast food is uh, Jack in the Box. Sure it is. Jack. Jack. They have a munchy meal. Yeah, sure. They're in California, specifically. A munchie, it's called munchy meal. Right. It's like a $4 well, thing. Why is it a munchie like something a, that would attract like you? Chicken no. strips and French fries and all, all the sorts of stuff. All the fast food guys have kind of moved in into it. that category. Let me get one more in there that's, that's mm. sort of in this world of, you know, you brought up GW Pharma, which is one of those names that for a long, long time, and yeah. you're looking for names that actually have size to them. It's a $3 billion yeah. company, so it's, it's obviously all about therapies. I'll tell you what, Scott's Miracle Grow is one of the more interesting ones to me because they moved into that space in a lot of ways that actually put them, it's about 18% now of their revenue. So that's something that's really interesting because you want to talk about growth, <laughs> growth, that and, is going to be hydroponic and hydroponic growth is, is, along yeah. with fertilizers, all with the lights and all the so, rest of that. Nobody so. wants to talk about fast well, food I would, stuff. You know, listen, if I were so inclined to partake, you know, I mean, in I think we're, you're kind of, well. <laughs> oh, in that. Yeah, in the guys. That run I think I'd be kind of inclined <laughs> to go what? to a Shake Shack. If the stock pulled back, maybe towards that breakout level. Remember, CEO. Is that really the yeah, I, I think. I mean, I, I love the, the way we've produced this segment, but I think it is to, to link the two is insane. The fast food companies are getting consumer confidence and tax tailwinds. Um, and if anything, I think they have headwinds coming from riser, rising labor prices, higher food costs, uh, fertilizers going up. If anything, that's going to yeah, be a I headwind. I think you're missing something. You know, you know, here's a stock that's really underperformed is Domino's, and it had that huge run two years ago when they were mm. talking about how they're using technology and the, the online ordering, that sort of thing. Think about it. You're Netflixing and chilling. You're partaking. You hit your app. It's you like dial an up ecosystem. Domino's. It's there in 30 <laughs> so minutes. Play those sound effects for Dan, please. Like, Thank you is, very this much. This is a thesis. Mm. <laughs> Just say no, youth of America. That is Just so say no. <laughs> Coming up, Tim Seymour here, drinking the kryptonite, going along Ethereum last month, but after its wild ride, is he still buying or did he take some profits? We will find out right after this quick break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Did you know Ethereum is up more than 50% since Tim revealed on this show that he was buying the cryptocurrency? Bought some here, bought some in here. Frankly, I'm not sure where we go. And at some point, really, there, there is an argument that a trader needs to take some profits. Anyone who's taken profits to this point has been disappointed. But that's been my call on Ethereum.
That was a very good call. So after a move like that, Tim, what we saw, how do you know when to take profits, Tim? Well, I'll tell you, Mel, in fact, and we'll get to that in a second. I'll tell you what I've done. But first, let's let's talk about, you know, really the dynamics here at work. I mean, I think if we're if we're looking at Ethereum, ultimately, the first point I want to make a point on is that the year we had in 2017 may not be 2018. Remember, this moved 85 times in 2017. The context of your investment certainly has to change based upon the performance. So um, that's part of what should weigh in. Check. Okay, second, it's about risk-reward. And ultimately, I talked about the last time how much of your portfolio should actually be devoted towards either high-risk investments, a trading book, and I said somewhere between 2 to 5% of your liquid trading assets um, that are devoted to high-risk investments could be in crypto. Um, ultimately, that's where I think you place this, and ultimately, I think that's where this rests for me. And after effectively a 100% move or a 50% move, depending on how you value these things, I'm now playing with the house's money. To me, the risk-reward here still, I've got capital at work, and ultimately I have to have an idea of how much I was investing and how much I wanted to get, and it's not for 100%. Check. Two, focus on the fundamentals, and this gets back to both how I've looked at Ethereum as a guy that's been investing in emerging markets. This is no different to me than the early days of emerging markets where you had big catalytic events that were the reasons for owning for Ethereum. It's what we talked about earlier in the show. This is the platform that I think much else will be built on. I think also they're getting a futures contract will be another thing. It's for as complex as this entire space is, I think there are some simple reasons that I stay in here. So here, ultimately, what have I done? And, and as we get to... <laughs> Look at that. Here's a chart just really quickly. It's gone from here to here. This is where we are. I started here. I've done nothing. Basically, I'm still in the positions, and ultimately to me, this is a platform from which I expect to be in for some time. I will be taking profits probably somewhere north of 50% here if we get there, but I want to stay in this trade because this is a foundational investment. North of 50% from here, so another yeah. 50%? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Those yeah. are those are not particularly exciting gains relative to 2017. I think this is a trader's paradise. I think for those people watching the show, we're very nimble. I think you buy, you know, sell, buy, sell. All right. Up next, final trades. Eleven years ago today, this show made its debut at 5 p.m. And financial news has never been the same. Back then, Lehman Brothers was a powerhouse brokerage firm. BlackBerry controlled the smartphone market, and some guy named Donald Trump had a hit show on NBC. Much has changed since then, except for one thing: our appreciation for you and sincere thanks to you, the viewer. Here's to 11 more. Time now for the final trade. Pete. Energy looks strong. Halliburton's the name. It's going higher. Giddy up. Tim. Biotech IBB. I think you've got a chart there. Dan Nathan. Uh, Intel, good spot on the long side. Original Love the fast little money river. Little yeah. River little River Airlines. That'll get you done. You're done, right? I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. That surprised me, that that. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.